Welcome to the Way to Wellbeing podcast, where we explore a structured approach to realizing sustained well-being through the cultivation and integration of mindfulness into your life. This is Matthew Aldrich. I'm a mindfulness student. And this is Barbara Newell. I'm a mindfulness teacher. Today, we wanted to dive down a little bit into mindfulness practice and get a little bit better idea of the various types of practices that help cultivate mindfulness. So with that, Barbara, can you give us a little bit more information about the various types of practices? Mm. Yeah, well, so one broad category difference is what we often might call formal and informal practice. Formal practice does not mean um, that you have to put on a special robe or sit in a weird position, or it doesn't even have to necessarily mean chanting or sitting at an altar, although those things can all be very fun and supportive. Really, formal practice just means a time in the day that you set aside. It can be very short if that's all you've got or if that's all you feel able to do. But it's a time when you're just pausing in the activity of the day to just be instead of doing and bringing your as we said, um, mindful, your, your intentional presence to your experience and simply doing that and, and not doing any other activity at the same time. And often it's a mindfulness of breath. For some people, they like to use mindfulness of sound if breath isn't a good anchor for them. Just periods of the day when we completely pause and just come back to the moment and back to the movements of our sensations, of our mind, of our emotions. So that's a formal practice, and that's often when we talk about meditation. That's uh, choosing to sit down, sit quietly. Walking meditation is also a wonderful way to cultivate mindfulness, and we might talk about that in a bit more detail in another another uh, podcast. Um, those are two of the main ways that people can pause and just tune into what's happening, sitting meditation and walking meditation. And then there's this whole um, universe of informal practices, and I think I did touch on them a little bit in our last, our last podcast, where, for example, when we're out driving, it can be really nice when we come to a red light to just drop in and see how are we feeling. Notice our breath instead of picking up our phone and scrolling through while we wait for the light to change or sending that extra text. Um, it can be, I think I mentioned before, how we are when we're cooking, just really feeling our feet on the floor and being very present with our body as we're cutting the vegetables and choosing not to maybe play um, political television while we're doing our cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Those are just a couple examples of informal practice. They're, they really can be as varied as, as people are. And the informal practice is really just being present. Is that Yeah, true? it's often helpful to use your anchor. So, uh, for example, when, we, when we're driving, um, there's nothing preventing us from having the radio off and being aware of our breathing as we are also aware of holding the steering wheel and looking around, we can also have some awareness of our breath in the background. That's one example. Um, or as we're 
as we're cutting vegetables, we can be aware of our breath and the cutting action of our hand. Um, and you've talked about the anchor, um, and very often in a lot of mindfulness circles, that is the breath. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people do choose different things. Um, yeah. And can you ex- explain mm-hmm. how a person might go through kind of selecting mm-hmm. their anchor? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, the breath is a very, very popular one. It It isn't the only way to anchor ourselves in the present moment or to cultivate mindfulness, but it is a very convenient one. Um, it's always with us, and no one even needs to know that we're doing it if we are out and about. We don't have to make a big deal about it. We can just come back to ourselves, particularly in a conversation, for example. It can just be really helpful to just... Feel the breath, particularly as things may get a little stressful sometimes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Some people find that this is particularly with people who tend to have um, perhaps panic or really strong anxiety. They they find that tuning into their breath actually makes them more anxious. Mm. So they may find it more useful to ground themselves in the sensations of their feet or perhaps the sensations of the hands. Because, again, the sensations are happening in the present moment. And mm-hmm. when we're grounding in the breath, that's, of course, sensations of breath as well. So Got it. some people, other places in the body are more helpful. So and some people like to use sound, just the coming in and going out of sound as a, as a way Got to it. be in the present moment. Not grabbing on, but just aware of sounds passing through. So it's a sensory experience mm-hmm. that you're focused on? Yeah, the on. senses are always present moment. Okay. And it's always related to the body. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So now just to touch now on the formal practice, Mm -hmm. is that something that you think is required uh, really to cultivate mindfulness or could you just primarily focus on informal practices? It's incredibly helpful if we can just set aside even a couple of minutes, all the better if it's five or 10 20 or even 40 minutes. There are people who sit for an hour. Mm. And I think each one of us has to just sense into what makes sense for us, first of all, in terms of our our ability to concentrate, how much time we're able to take in the day. Um, yeah, I mean, each increment often has its own kind of deepening of attention and kind of clearing the space for habitual things like rumination or, um, yeah, habitual emotional patterns to dissipate and make room for fresh insight or fresh action or or fresh clarity about the nature of things. I like to think of it sometimes as a pond, like our kind of like our life is a pond. Mm -hmm. And there are all different kinds of things in this pond. There might be um, rocks in the pond. There might be um, dangerous things like a broken, sharp piece of glass. And maybe in there is also, um, you know, our house keys that we lost yesterday. (laughs) And when the mind is moving, moving, and the body is moving, it's like the, the sediment of the pond is getting continually stirred up and we're reaching in trying to find the thing we're looking for and we might cut ourselves on the glass because we can't really see 
very well what we're doing in that state. And we practice meditation. It's like the the stirring is slowed or even almost stopped. The sediment can go down and the pond becomes very clear. And then it's very easy to see and put our hand directly on the thing that we want or to remove the, the sharp thing that we don't want to have in there. Got it. So it's really that calming of the mind that's really required. Yeah, and I hesitate to say calming the mind like, uh, you know, we need to calm our mind because that can almost be counterproductive if we're like, I got I to calm my mind, I have to calm my <laughs> mind. It can, it can make us be uh, have kind of a suppressive approach to the mind, and that isn't actually mindfulness. So there's almost a paradoxical quality that when we attend with this larger sense of ourself that isn't caught inside the different movements of the mind that the anxious thoughts or the um, the anger or what have you, then that's when it's able to relax. Mm -hmm. So when we try to tell ourselves, I shouldn't be angry, it's bad to be angry, I don't want to be anxious, in a way we're just, it's like they say, what you resist persists. Mm. So... Yeah, the, it, Carl Rogers said the curious paradox is that when I accept myself completely just the way I am, then I'm free to change. And that's that. That's almost this alchemy that mindfulness does if we just are willing to sit with something and allow it to be there and even have a, a, a kind, compassionate, like friendly curiosity toward it, it will often loosen and relax. Mm-hmm. But when we try to fix it or improve ourselves, it just hangs on and kind of bubbles up somewhere out the side. Got it. And I think that's a, that's a hard thing to grasp for a lot of people because people really want to try hard yeah. to accomplish this. And I think it's, it's a very important point that you have to go in with minimal expectations and just be with yourself mm-hmm. and experience what happens. I know personally when I started, um, and, and one of the reasons I sought your help, Barbara, was because meditation was daunting. I mean, I had tried doing it for five minutes. I think by the time I had talked to you, I was up to about 10 minutes. But this concept of like 45 minutes or an hour just seemed like, whoa, I can't imagine being with myself that long. How would you recommend people approach it? How did you approach it? (laughs) I think, uh, I mean, for me, a lot of it was getting the support mm-hmm. um, and kind of just guidance to say, hey, this is what you can expect as you go through this process. Yes, it seems daunting in the beginning, but what I experienced was it, over a number of sessions, it changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It became easier. Um, I think what I've heard before is a description monkey brain mm-hmm. is that you're your thoughts bounce around. And so when you approach it and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine just living with my thoughts for an extended period of time because they're going everywhere, just like a Mm -hmm. monkey would bounce around the room. You just discover that all of a sudden the thoughts aren't occurring at the same pace. They're slowing. There's larger and larger gaps in the thoughts. And I think it is really important. You're, You're not trying to stop thinking. That's not the point. The point is that you're observing what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And using that anchor, really just 
it's coming back over and over. And even if we do have expectations, that itself can be something that we just bring this kind of curiosity to. Oh, okay. I really want to not be like this. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Can I just allow that part of me wants to improve myself and uh, is pushing away another part of me? Okay. That's how it is right now. And it evolves over time. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you would have told me when I started that I could sit through three days of pretty much nonstop meditation, I'd be like, what? (laughs) Well, what I remember when you came to me is that um, you were uh, were already pretty comfortable in your sitting and you were, what I recall about is you were sort of curious about what, where you should go next. And I remember when I said, you know, how about sitting longer, 20 minutes, and you were like, Okay. And then I started to talk to you about 40 minutes and you said, whoa, really? I, I My recollection is that you didn't even know people would choose to sit for that long. <laughs> I think I I definitely had heard about it, um, but it just seemed so daunting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you tried it. Yeah. And then I tried it and I was like, oh. And it wasn't that hard for you. No, it wasn't. Yeah. And, it, and I think that's the important point is everyone has a different experience. Um you can definitely work up to longer periods of time. It takes a commitment. And what, from your own experience, what would you say is different between sitting for 10 minutes versus 20 or 20 versus 40 for you? I'll just go back to your analogy is the waters become clearer. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're sitting for multiple days, um, yeah. you're in a silent retreat. I mean, that those waters totally settle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and from there, you start to see things differently. And I, I think the insight piece is extraordinarily important because that's when very often we talk about clear seeing. You're starting to see through the water now into mm-hmm. yourself, but also into the nature of things. Yeah. You start to see the relationship between things differently, more clearly, and it just becomes it just becomes easier. To, to kind of pick up the thing you want and to put down the thing that that's weighing you down. Because one of the things, and we've talked about this a number of times, is that just willfully saying, I'm going to be present. Um, and, and I was very much there. I mean, I had uh, studied mindfulness for several years, and I was kind of like, okay, well, I'll just be present. And you can, that informal practice can occur. Really, though, the, the only, what I would say, sustainable way of being more present that I've experienced is, is when I dedicated myself to uh, a meditative practice on a daily basis mm-hmm. and for an ex- extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as I think we've been talking about in, at other times, how how does someone sort of do that progression? And each person is going to be a little bit different, but mainly just to start with what feels doable. And if that's one minute, Maybe you just pause, set a a bell or an alarm on your phone um, and just breathe, come back to whatever is your anchor for one minute. I think we have a one-minute practice we yes. recorded. Um, and when that feels comfortable enough, you can go double to two minutes. <laughs> and, I mean, I say that a little bit facetiously, but really, it's kind of cool to think that often for many people in a pretty short period of time, they can double the amount of time that they're able to be 
present to themselves and just be with their experience without grabbing or pushing away. Yeah. And then um, five minutes. So just each each one of us, maybe a week or a few days, like as one would do with weights, right? You do it until you feel like you can do whatever is that number of reps at that weight, and then you go to the next, the next piece of uh, the next you know increment. And it very much is a daily exercise. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, in terms of the research, has shown that that's those longer periods of time are really what starts to change your brain hmm. um, and the way you react. And and that's what I think is most important that I noted is your reactivity just yeah. it, um, dissolves. Yeah, not only your reactivity to outside stimuli, but also our reactivity to our own being. Mm-hmm. The self kind of critic, the self even loathing. Um, yeah. So what I would just emphasize about this then is that each person is going to have their their pace and their pathway and the the number of minutes that's going to feel right for them. And so this is really an invitation to be experimental, be curious, try try something if it feels wrong, go adjust in the other direction and trust that you do have the the capacity and the, the 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 interest in waking up, or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. So you can trust that you'll find your way as you experiment and learn about your own mind and your own life and what's right for you. There's no wrong way, and any amount of time that you give to this will benefit you. Yes, because I think what you'll you do eventually find out is then you're really wanting to do it. Yeah, exactly. It becomes taking a shower, you know, or getting into a hot tub. It's just bathing in this um, kind, wakeful, alert, relaxed presence. And mm. other people also notice the difference in being around a person who's who's doing that. Yes. And in terms of... Um one of the things that I discovered also was the amount of stimulation you have in your life is going to impact your practice. Mm -hmm. And that's not a problem. Um, That's just the reality. I mean, if you're under an immense amount of pressure at work, um, that's going to impact you. And your thoughts might be a little bit more um, jumping around than normal. That's okay. Um, longer term as you practice this, you're, I think you're better able to, you may not have as much variability, but Mm -hmm. I think it is important for people to recognize that stimulation and this, it could be a number of things. It can be work, it can be personal Mm -hmm. relationships, um, just any kind of, um, activity or stress that's impacting you, um, is going to impact your practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, I mean, the reality is we have to learn how to integrate that and don't feel discouraged um, because I think the the key thing to recognize and what long-term practitioners will tell you is it evolves, it changes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so those things don't impact you as much, but you may also choose to change the stimulation in your life. Mm-hmm. That's such a great point. Thank you for saying that, Matthew. Yeah, that... To not, uh, you know, judge ourselves for having a busy mind or even for having made all the choices we made that day so that when we sit down, our mind is busy. Or if we do judge ourselves, 
than not to judge ourselves for judging ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I and think then it's just you have to be with it. Yeah, and it's okay. It's not wrong. It doesn't. You're not doing it wrong just because your mind is busy. That doesn't. If you if you notice that your mind is busy, that is mindfulness. Yeah. You're you're mindful of the activities of your mind. So it's not about um, getting to a certain getting as close to zero thoughts as possible. <laughs> that may be a that may be pleasant. That may be a side benefit. But it's just being with how it is right now mm-hmm. and letting that be as it is. And yeah. you yeah, you may choose then. You may find as you as you start to like it, as we've said. Maybe during the day you'll start to notice, yeah, actually, maybe I don't want to go on Facebook for the fifth time now. <laughs> like, I'd rather just relax. <laughs> and I, I think that's an important point about social media is it, it's fascinating to look at your responses when you do add or diminish that. And that is very much mm-hmm. what you learn in mindfulness as you mm-hmm. look at the activities mm-hmm. that you're performing throughout the day and look yeah. at that impact. Yeah, I remember asking you about drinking. Like one of the things I learned was that the next day, Actually, it impacted my practice. Mm-hmm. And I, I drank, I had two glasses of wine, yeah. um, but I noticed subtleties and changes in my thought patterns. And and now I recognize that, yes, that's going to be an impact. That's part of the reality of it. Yeah. And again, so this, what we're, this practice that we're talking about isn't about saying, okay, if you do this practice, then you'll see that you should stop all your drinking. That isn't what we're saying. What we're saying is you get to make a a truly conscious choice. And if you want to have those two glasses of wine or whatever it is, do. It's just getting to know better what do you really want. It's a great way to find out what what you really want. And what I often suggest to people around these kinds of things is don't go in with a goal of reducing it or getting rid of it. Just all you need to do is notice how do you feel before you do it? How do you feel as you do it? And how do you feel after you've done it? Oh, that's great. And just be yeah. true to yourself and your experience. Great. Well, that's it for today that we had. We hope you found this very informative and insightful. Uh, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. For more information, go to our website at thewaytowellbeing.com. And for more information on how Barbara can help you, visit her website at barbaranewell.com. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.